The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLiberty.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is, is Bradley's show from yesterday. And so if you missed that and you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 p.m. Eastern today. At which time he's going to be live in that little place right there and live for two hours today. It's Saturday, so you got him for two hours today. So be sure and catch Bradley at three. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up on whatever device you've got. Look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. And uh, click on that, and you can join us in the chat over on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning, you guys. Good to see you. And, um, yeah, join over there, and then be sure to subscribe to the channel. The channel Sons of Liberty Radio Live. If you just go straight over to Rumble, uh, put in Sons of Liberty Radio Live, all one word, and you should be able to pull up the channel there. And then when you pull up the channel, we should be the top one going, at least at this time, (laughs) while we're live, and maybe for a couple hours after that. And then Bradley's will take over, and then we're back and forth again. But at least for that, for now, that's going on. Also, beforeitsnews.com, top of the page over there. And we appreciate Michael Roach and his team giving us a spot uh, on their platform. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right up on where we're streaming live. You can sign up for our email newsletter. That goes out once a day. Uh, later in the day, usually early afternoon or, or late afternoon, early evening is when you get that. That's all the articles we have at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the morning show archive. And then finally, I haven't made mention of it in a while, but it, you know, if you're a person who would like to help keep us out there doing what we're doing, not only on the radio, but internet throughout the 50 states um, and covering several things, then... Uh, and you want to support us, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on it and make a one-time donation. Or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of Liberty. And we appreciate your support very much. And our store is open too. I haven't made mention of that uh, recently, but I know Bradley has shown the afternoon um, audience uh, the new shirts and the, the new book that uh, he's put out as well. And uh, so I, I was going to make mention of that. Uh, today, 
and for whatever reason I completely forgot about it. But this is the new Soldier of the Cross T-shirt. So it's uh yeah, it's got a he's got a dude with a you know, he's got armor on and a sword and I will fear no evil at the top and yeah, he's just walk he's being an overcomer. And then this uh, famous statement from John Peter Muhlenberg, uh, one of the preachers in, who was in the colonial army. There is a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray. But there is also a time to fight, and that time has come, or has now come. And it's a it's a nice-looking shirt. I mean, it's yeah, it's really sharp. And, oh, there's a book to go with it. This is Bradley's first book out of the three that he's been talking about writing called Soldier of the Cross. Same artwork and everything like that. So maybe we want to get a bundle or something like that, pick up the book, pick up the shirt. Um, and that will be a great conversation starter for sure. It really will. Uh, but we appreciate your support very much. And I don't know where Kate is. I'm kind of out here on the limb. Going to saw it off behind me here in a second. So while we're while we're waiting on her, um, and I have no idea where she is, um, but while we are waiting on her, let me take you over to sonsoflibertymedia.com. I mean, there's if you guys, one of the interesting things is, and again, if you missed the the interview with Brian Artis yesterday, wow, what a... And there's a lot of eye-opening things. And you need to understand, I went to Red Peel and I was interviewing people while a lot of people were speaking that I wanted to hear. And he was one I didn't get to hear. Um, so he was sharing some stuff there, especially near the end about the CIA involvement years ago using Venoms, um, Fauci with the AZT and the AIDS. All that stuff is talked about. The venom. I mean, I just find the, the irony that snake venom is being used against the people of the world. And I guess I shouldn't. Uh, the Bible calls him the old serpent, doesn't it? It speaks of the devil that way. And um, so I'm, I, I guess I shouldn't be uh, surprised at that. But I just, I find it amazing that these people are getting away with doing it. And I think Dr. Artis is exactly right on point. He's caught them exactly doing what they were doing. And uh, so one of the interesting things that uh, he said about his healing for the ages, which by the way, if you want to go, you can. Uh, it's September the 8th and 9th. It's a Friday and a Saturday in Dallas, Texas. If you want to go, you can go You go to healingfortheages.com. And if you use promo code Tim, it'll save you 10%. But one of the things he was telling me they were going to do was they were inviting all these other doctors in who had a different of opinion. And he wanted them to hear the information uh, so that they could they could learn that because... I, I think there's a lot who got certain things right and they got certain things wrong. And so he's wanting to help those those doctors who are out there come to the knowledge of the truth of what was going on uh, during the con bids. And that being this venom that uh, that they, they've been putting in. Well, what he comes they've, they've been putting in the water. And I think the whole thing makes sense. And on top of that, uh, the deal with um, with the 5G. And how that's used to make that stuff you know, grow, expand, replicate 30 times faster than it normally would. So they've been hitting us at all angles and it's right in front of our faces if we want to see it. The, the, the next question becomes, what are we going to do to bring justice against it and to stop it? I know some people throw up their hands and they say, oh, there's nothing we can, there's nothing we can do. That's nonsense. Does the scriptures not tell you the same thing it tells me? With God, all things are possible. And there he's talking about a, it's hard for a rich man to enter kingdom. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. Do the scriptures not say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? 
Is that not what it says? No, you've, you've been lied to. We've been lied to. People saying that there's nothing we can do. Now, there's some issues where I see certain things and I say, that's just a lost cause. I'm not even going to go over there and deal with that. But when we're talking about stuff that's, that's harming us, our neighbors, our children, our husbands, our wives, our extended family, those in our community, there is something we can do. And uh, I don't know why some people can't get that in their, in their mind and in their thinking regarding that. But in any case, I have rambled on enough. <laughs> but I, I so appreciated what Dr. Artis had presented. And um, so if you, if you missed that yesterday, you missed a great show, a lot of really good information that can be useful in the days ahead. Solutions, real solutions, at least on the health front. Uh, for you in that show. So be sure and check that out at Sons of Liberty Radio uh, Live on Rumble. Now, Kate's with us, but I'm not seeing that she's up on camera just yet. So uh, we're going to give a, a couple of more minutes here before uh, we bring her on. Did you see this with the um, this this guy? Remember the guy who uh, shot and killed the Ashley Babbitt? Look, and I'm, I'm, I was one who was skeptical of that whole thing. The whole thing looked staged. I, I, I confess it did. And you can go back and see my show. I don't pull down the stuff. I was very skeptical of what was going on. She was the only woman in the whole crowd there. So, but nevertheless, she was no threat to the guy who shot her. And yet, what happened? He shot and is said to have killed her, right? Well, this guy, look at what they did. They promoted him. They promoted him. This guy, Michael Bird. This is the same kind of thing. Remember the uh, FBI sniper that took out Randy Weaver's wife? Remember that? Yeah. And then he got promoted. This is what they do. This is what they do. But this is Saturday. And as always, we have with us Kate Shimron. Good morning, Kate. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Got to do this. Good morning. Hey, oh, good morning. And you're I'm Dr. Having Brian a, Artis. A sore eye day, a bad hair day. <laughs> it's all happening. Um, all at once. This is what happens. You know what I did? Let me tell you what I did, folks, so you are absolutely crystal clear. I went to the Red Pill Expo where I met Tim in the flesh, and uh, and we were really, we really were separated at birth. We're clearly brother and sister. Uh, <laughs> and my suitcase went missing, and um, I there was no way I was turning up looking like Medusa. Let me tell you, everything was in my suitcase. All I had in my briefcase was my passport, a book. Uh, Dr. Uh, Leonard Horovich, which is amazing. Pirates of the Sacred Spiral was uh, another one of his books, which I like. And um, and some specs and some cayenne pepper. And I had a lipstick and a lip gloss, clean one. Everything else was in a suitcase. I then had to buy some makeup. I bought some in the airport from big name brands because that's all you could get. And then I bought some the next day at Walgreens. Oh, my word. I happened to use a little bit of it yesterday. And it made my eye completely sore and swollen. So you see, when you get clean, you get clean. And that's why you should be buying makeup from Katrin's link, which I think you have, don't you, Tim, the Tropic link. I'll go back and it's, find it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's literally like a little piece of eczema on your eyelids. Well, your eyelids are as thin as the skin on your testes, guys. It's very thin, delicate skin. So when it gets sore, mm, let me tell you, it gets sore. Um, Big shout out to Sally. I won't say her surname, who rang me last night with a collapsed husband. 
and we try Oshima over the phone. She's not medically trained. Um, we were pretty much correct on his diagnosis. Anyway, he's in the hospital now. Um, he went there. He's not very old. So he's had bloods, had a scan, and so far so good, and she's with him. So big shout out, and we're praying for you. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, anyway, in the UK, the, the state occupied, formerly known as the UK, we're living in offshore India. Um, we have uh, Sadiq Khan. I can't even say that name without going. Uh, he's telling us that ULIS cameras, uh, more ULIS cameras going up, even though most of them are being uh, taken down as quick as they're put up. There's such a small amount. And they're going to be expanding these ULIS. They're 15-minute city cameras. Mark Steele, we need to get him on. He was telling me that they're not regular cameras. They're by Siemens. They're um, to do with, again, EMF. Um, and... He's telling everybody, you know, this is to cut down on pollution. And I was sent something, uh, freedom of information. I think there was one death from pollution going years and years and years back. Wow. Yeah, freedom, we should freedom, we should upset the freedom. whole apple cart of the globe uh, of, the, of the earth. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so all this about uh, pollution. Oh, they're such Pinocchios. That's what you need to say. You can't call them lies direct to their faces because it's you can say. These people are Pinocchios. But anyway, we had something happen in the UK this week, and I have never seen, well, probably it has gone on. Of course it has. We've had miscarriages of justice all over the place. But we saw a young woman convicted for life of the murder of seven babies. And um, all of, a lot of legal scholars have come out of the, the woodwork. One who's brilliant, Dr. McClacklin, McCracklin, McCracken, McCracken, McClacken, McClacken. It's on my Twitter feed. And it's also on YouTube. I don't know if I've sent it to you, Tim, that video, but I will uh, send it to you right this minute. And he has gone through the case. Not only is he a former nurse, he also has several degrees in law, and he also lectures nurses on legal aspects. So he really is um, someone who knows what he's talking about just this let me house. just i'm just forwarding this to you now so that you know tim i might have already forwarded it to you actually and said watch this um it's interesting then when you start to go and look at the case and uh that's not you i'm just sending it to you now sorry folks just going to have to bear with um so <laughs> on the fly is he's looked at all the legal aspects of the case. He said that he was going into beginning the last third, I think it was, of the, 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 um, the what do you call it, the transcript of the trial. But what we have seen is a 33-year-old Christian single woman um, tried by press. And we all know how the press works. And they were using words of she's evil, she's a murderer, she's this, she's that. It was horrific to watch what the press did, every single story. Now, I want to go through some things chronologically with you. Shall I do so? Because you know Please. what? The Lord gives us ears to hear and eyes to see. And if the last three year, three and a half years have taught you one thing, it's that your government are not your mommy and daddy. They do not love you. Um, that all of the agencies that you think are there to protect you are there to harm you, to imprison you, and to make you sick. None of those agencies that you are told are there, but everything's an inversion. The devil comes to lie, cheat, steal, and kill. So let's just look at some 
facts of this woman and then I'll go through them because um, you, you don't take my word for it. You go and look these up. You can go look on my Twitter feed. I've been posting these on my Twitter feed and you need to look outside of what the press is saying. And for the, the Montes who turn around and say, um, she's guilty as hell. Um, and I said, where, where did you read the transcript? Was it the Daily Mail, the BBC, or did you actually read the legal transcript? So she was an only child. Her mother told her from being a little girl that she'd been saved as a neonate in the special care baby unit. She was a Christian. She owned her home, her own home with a mortgage. That home, uh, when they showed photographs of her house, when she'd put it up for sale, was immaculate. It was tasteful. Um, when you sell your house, don't you do your best job of tidying up? Yes, you do. And they said it was a stark contrast to what her house looked like with the picture shown to the jury. Now, they showed a picture of her bedroom. All that it was was the duvet folded down and folded in. That's what it looked like. There was maybe a hairdryer, a couple of bits of things that she lived. I can assure you, if you'd have showed my daughter's bedroom uh, at any time to a jury, they would have thought that there'd been a murder in there or someone had put Semtex in the drawers and the closet. They'd have thought that I'd been, had been burgled by whole teams. Um, that's how bad it is. And they would have thought that someone had got an entire makeup black bag, put a hand grenade in it and blown it up and spilled it all over the carpet. So... Her room just looked like someone had got out of bed and folded the duvet back. That's all it looked like. And they're saying in stark contrast to what it was when she sold it. So do you see how they're swaying? Oh, sure. The yeah. yeah. So she had two rescued cats. That's one vote from me straight away. She had friends. She had childhood friends that she still had good friendships with who have given interviews. But you can't find those interviews very easy now they've passed. All you can find is the negative. She had nursing friends that she trained with who are still her friends and are saying that they don't believe it and they will never believe it. You had ex-colleagues who worked with her on that unit who refused to believe that she would do it and say she's innocent. She has a boyfriend, but she won't name him. Of course, she's not going to name him. Well, she doesn't want him dragged into it and dragged through the dirt, the poor woman. You have the media. In the media is Dr. Gibbs. Dr. Gibbs is, oh, just going back, sorry, her parents. She's an only child. They absolutely adore her. When she became a nurse, they even put a notification in the newspaper, an announcement, because they're proud. The newspaper said she felt suffocated by her parents. But when, they, when you read beyond the headline, you go in, you see that she said to a colleague, I, you know, I could never go and live in New Zealand. My parents would be devastated. I've said that to many people about going and living in America. I can't because of my children. I can't leave my children behind. Would that mean that I'm a suffocating parent? No. So you see, they take little things. So Dr. Gibbs is, was, was, was the doctor on the ward. He was the consultant all through the testimonies. You read that doctors have stated, I will need to phone Dr. Gibbs. So one could hypothesize from that, that Dr. Gibbs wasn't on the unit. Um, there was a plumber was called to the unit every week to that unit because directly above in the false ceiling were sewage pipes and pipes from theatre that carried blood. 
dirty, you know, theatre drainage. So it would have been blood and body products. And those pipes kept leaking into the fake ceiling. What was beneath the fake ceiling? The baby's cots. These are premature babies. Wow. Would be seven weeks early. If they were earlier than that, it used to be that they went elsewhere. But then they made it that they stayed. They had they could keep them there. Now there was a similar case. I think it was in Australia or New Zealand. Please do go on my feed. Look at that link that I've sent you on YouTube. There was a similar case in either Australia or New Zealand where they built a new special care baby unit for the neonates, and everything was brand new. And within thirty days of it opening, lots of the babies began to die. The first thing they did was look at the nurses. But then they looked at what was happening with microorganisms and they discovered that that had happened. There were microorganisms growing everywhere. And that's why these babies had died. They looked. The plumber was mentioned and then it was decided not to bring him in as defense. They said, oh, that happens in all hospitals. If you have a plumber call to a department every week because there's leakage, directly below above those cots, would you not want to put Petri dishes and start seeing and swabbing all of that area and see what's growing? Yes, you would. Um, the nurse's family, her parents, nobody was called in. Nobody gave. Nobody was her witness, just herself, her own testimony. She had nobody on the stand. So, Kate, let me ask a question about this because I haven't followed this. I've seen it, but I haven't really followed the story. How did the babies die? Was it this leakage that was coming in? No. The autopsies, they didn't come up with any of what they said that she'd done. The autopsies just came up with all different natural causes. But the, they said, well, she she must have done this. She must have done this. She must have given. It's unbelievable when you so, read it. Now. So is it is it like the, the people have been so dumbed down, uh, the fluoride and all this other stuff and the lack of education, indoctrination, that when even when presented with evidence like that, or I, I don't even know if they presented that. They can't they discern. They didn't allow the evidence in. See, I, that's just, I, I'm hearing that stuff. Our federal government gets not like 95% conviction rate. And it's because they're constantly doing these Brady violations of not letting exculpatory evidence into the court. And I, I, if you want to defend yourself, why shouldn't why you have? Huh? Why, is, why is that? Yeah, I'll I tell you what it is. And I dare to say it. And I don't care. Because you know what? The Lord decides the hour and the day of my death. It's because it's the big boys club called the Freemasons, the judiciary system, the legal system, that is, the police, the medical system, the pharmacia, the rest of it. They're Freemasons at the top and they look after one another and they decide the way it's going to go and they pick the right judges and they pick the right cops. How many more clues do people need to be shown about Maui? Yep, you're right. You're right. So, so let me go on. So the NMC, taken over by the government in 2001, you are taught as a nurse, every year you have to re-register and you pay your 120 20 quid. It was when I came off there, 120 quid, you re-register and you have to tick a box saying that you've done the right amount of hours practicing in your clinical area. And you have also um, done the right amount of study in order to re-register. You've got to study, whether that's a study day you're sent on, whether it's reading a journal, and you need to keep evidence of that, your certificates or the journal that you read. And you'll, by signing that, you're making a statement that could be challenged in a court of law should anything happen. Also, every three years, nurses must revalidate. 
So what they're encouraged to do is do, I think it's five reflective cycles. And you're supposed to do them during that three year. I can tell you right now, most nurses do them just before they revalidate the right amount. I chose to use Gibbs reflective cycle. What happened? What did, what did you do? What was the outcome? What were the positives of it? What were the negatives of it? What could you have done better? And what did you learn from it? Basically, that's what Gibbs reflective cycle is. So the police said, so, so also when you go on your duty, early shifts, late shifts, night shifts, if you're doing a 12 hour shift, there'll be two shifts. When you go on your duty, you go in and you have a report from the nurse who is in charge of that entire department. She gives you the report and you're told where you're going to be working. So you might be working with these five patients or you might be working in this area or this area or this area. You know where you're working. Then you go to the person that you are taking over who's working in the area of the shift before you and you do a handover from that nurse. And what you do, what I used to do is keep a little notebook in my pocket with a date on it where I was working. And you might have something like and they might say, OK, this is Mr. Smith. He's coming with chest pain. Uh, we're waiting his blood results uh, taken, you know, five minutes ago. So it's going to be a little while. They'll be on the system. Uh, we're waiting for radiology to come and do a chest X-ray. His relatives are outside waiting to come in. He's not had anything to eat or drink yet. He's been to the toilet. These are his obs. Last done, they're due. And then you know what you've got to do. You've got to check. And so I would write, chase up bloods, chase up hospital notes, get relatives. And I would write it all down. That's what I would write. Maybe it's he's waiting to go to the ward and I would write waiting to go to ward such and such. So that's what you do and you tick off. Now, you might have one patient. If you're in a bigger area, you might have six patients working with you and a nursing assistant. If you're working in the community, you might have 12 patients. In SCABU, uh, this, this baby unit, the neonates um, where she was working, the, the policy was the guideline. It was one nurse per baby. But some of them were, were, most of them were working with two or three babies. So straight away, they're going against guidelines and it will be lack of staff or whatever. So that's the first thing. So she would, you're encouraged to keep these notes. You're encouraged to keep them. And there was the case of the nurse. It, it was, I think it was, she was German or Dutch or one of those countries where she um, was found guilty and seven years later, she was exonerated because of such notes. So she went to prison and she served seven years before she was all charges against her were dropped and she was released. That's how important these notes are. Interesting. So the, the police said this in the press. It was, re it was released to the press. They found handover notes, hundreds of handover, over 100 handover notes. Well, yeah, that wouldn't be abnormal. And that they were trophies. Do you see what they've done? The trophy of the serial killer. Mm. That's what they said. And then they said that she'd written in a journal and they only put a couple of pieces in where she'd said, I hate myself or whatever. Or I'm evil. Um, I, um, I don't deserve my mum and dad. Let me tell you, when my good friend died and she had been doing the Gerson therapy and because her, her stepdaughter and all them, they were dead against it. I was afraid to encourage her to, to do the, the natural thyroid and tell her where to get it in the pharmacy. So we missed that bit out. Anyway, I was with her when she had the diagnosis, when she had the, the biopsy done. It was All of it was terrible from beginning to end. And I fought for her all the way with all staff. And then finally, she had radiotherapy two weeks later. She couldn't, she couldn't walk. It just, she went numb, but one leg, then the other, all the way to the waist, which was paralyzed. And she died a couple of weeks later in a hospice. What a surprise. But um, 
the point was, I, it was the first time in my life I was utterly bereft. And I felt guilt that I couldn't save her. I berated myself on so many walks. And that was when the Holy Spirit entered me one day when I was really crying over all of that. that and she was the lady that spoke uh, nine languages and had 11 Bibles in different languages. She was the one that introduced me to scripture. And the most wonderful woman I've ever met in my life. So I berated myself. So there she was. They took just two screenshots or two snapshots, whatever they did, out of this diary. Off that went. That's what they used. And these notes, I've never read anything like it. It's not unusual. You're told to journal. Do you know if you're in an abusive marriage, you're advised to journal it and keep them, hide them? Because if it ever comes to court, you can go back and it's classed as evidence. Interesting. You know that? Interesting. So, yeah. And I know that for a fact. So, this is what they did. They used those. And then the police, it's like kindergarten stuff. They made a chart. And on that chart, they put all the, the nurses' names. And they put all the, the babies that died. And then they put an X next to if that nurse was on duty when that baby died. And then the next nurse. And Lucy, I think, had eight or seven and the another nurse had five, but they didn't investigate her. But you know what's really interesting? There were no doctors' names on that chart. What wow. about the relatives? What about the cleaners? What about the assistants? What about anyone else who had access to that unit? Mm. No, they picked their nurse and they went for it. Now, every nurse who's watching this or knows of someone, you should be trembling in your boots. And if you go to America and you look, in 2020, the Supreme Court took away all authority to protect nurses when working under a doctor. You're not protected anymore. In fact, in 21, a nurse was in court and they were going to jail her for eight years. She gave the wrong drug. The patient died. She got the sack, struck off, but then they came out and they were going to jail her. Now, this is, they didn't jail her, but it, it's a terrible case. It's all in the public. You can go read it. But look, so... Dr. Gibbs and the other doctor, I think it's Harkness is his name. I've got it all written down elsewhere because we did a show on it, but they spoke to the press and they said that they made a serious error. That's what it says in the press. They made a serious error with a baby. Lucy Letby then says that there was a there was an incident where she found a baby that wasn't didn't have any of its monitors on. And she said that these two doctors apologized to her because they'd been in and removed the monitors. And then when they'd left, there was she'd found the baby with no monitors on to, for alert. So she raised the alarm and they apologized to her. Yet they stood on the stand and said they couldn't recall that happening. But if she'd said they'd apologize, then they must have done. But they couldn't remember that happening. Well, that means that they're not up for perjury, are they? Because they're not lying, because it's already written when they've given an interview to the press. They just can't remember. Now, at that point, when Gibbs got on the stand, that's when Lucy, on camera, just stepped down, looked like she'd broken down and walked off back towards the direction of the door to her cells. And they're all saying, oh, it's because she knew she was guilty. I put it to you. Maybe that was the action of a woman finally realizing that she was being utterly betrayed by those she trusted yeah. because she knew the truth. Yeah. So then they had 
an expert witness. Now get this, this is incredible. Expert witness, he's watching it unfold. He's a retired pediatrician. He drives from Wales, which is down here, across and up country to Manchester, England, to the police station. Hello, I'm an expert witness because I've got my own company where I've set myself up as an expert witness for trials. And I'm a pediatrician and I worked in this special care baby unit. I worked in that arena. On cross-examination, he worked in one of those units for a very short space of time many years ago. And he wasn't an expert witness and his business made considerable money on the back of this case. He touted for business and they took him on. How crooked is that? Anyway, he also said he'd never seen this little papyri that you get. You can get that with infection. He said that. What? He's never seen that as a pediatrician. Really? Anyway, Lucy Letby was only on duty for a third of the deaths in that unit. What about the other two thirds? Is anyone investigating those? No, they just picked the third that she was on for because there'd been a rise in deaths. All the staff had noticed it. Then they had the chart that the police made, the other nurses. Now, I'm going to say this. This was 2016. Then she was removed, 2016 to 17, she was removed and the death rates had a lull. And then they began to climb again and they were even higher than when Lucy was there. But you know what they did? They pulled the entire unit to pieces and did a complete refit. That's what they did. They And you know what they did during the lull? As I understand it, the babies were all moved out. We're just trying to find that bit. Now, Dr. Gibbs had one foot in the door and one foot out the door when Lucy was there. And he retired straight after. I'll bet he did. But what was interesting was they had all the, the newly qualified and inexperienced doctors working there who, according to this guy with several legal degrees, who's gone through the whole transcript, said it appears that they had carte blanche to do what they wanted. Now, when I used to take blood from people in A&E, if you didn't get it within the third attempt, you had to go and get someone who was more senior because you're introducing a portal for infection. They were passing this catheter into the umbilicus. And some of them, once you've had several attempts, you're not supposed to have any more. You're supposed to go and seek somebody who's more senior and more experienced. These guys, and doctor, doctors and females, whatever they were, were having 10 attempts. 10 attempts. Now, what they said these babies had, air in their backs, you could get that if you'd got infection starting or they'd gone into that umbilicus. Some of the other things that they were listed is these babies that can happen. Um, there was all a way of saying this was all could have been infection. All of these things. And then this doctor said there was no, ins Lucy said there was no insulin given on the unit. And apparently, I, I can't remember this bit, and I'm not sure I'd have to go with the notes, whether there was a bit of insulin found in one of the babies, but hang on a minute, because this is, you must listen to this legal guy's um, um, interview, it's brilliant. One of the doctors, this Dr. Gibb, actually stated in an interview to the press, I mean, why are they giving interviews to the press as it's going along? He said, well, a little bit of insulin might have been given, a small amount. I've never heard insulin talked about in small amounts. It's talked about in units, units. So if they're saying she could have given insulin, well, where would she have got it? 
Have they tracked anything? No, no, none of it. But this is what I will tell you that's quite interesting about that particular hospital that was going on. So they've now announced in, they've now announced in one of the, in the nursing times, (laughs) oh, the nursing times, they did a whole article on me. That paper, the pages of that nursing time would be good to line the floor of your rabbit cage to catch excrement. That's what I'd use it for personally. Anyway, the nursing times um, have stated uh, that um, they're going to be looking into this and all of the deaths that occurred to see what can be learned from these failings and then how Lucy got away with it. But she was only there for a third of the deaths. Was she working full time? Were the other nurses part time? Were the other nurses on sharing contracts? Was it that they had days off sick and she didn't? What is actually going on here? She's a diligent nurse, which she was also the poster girl for the unit. At one stage, very pretty young woman. Christian, isn't that interesting? She was a practicing Christian. Mm. Not in the press. They, they found a video of her out with her friends, a little bit tipsy. They'd all had a couple of drinks. You don't hear anything in the press about there was no social media of her acting or doing anything. She just looks like a clean, living, good Christian woman. Now, they're talking about, you know, they're going to be looking into it. Then the police go, we're going to be looking into where Lucy used to work. Really? Is that fact? Are you really with you to bake charts? So, so the nursing times. So moving on. Um, not everybody's happy with it. They, they should have looked at the trainee doctors, the registrars, the consultants, and whoever else was in that unit um, who are carrying out, nurses are just carrying out the orders of the scripts from the doctors. This is why every nurse should have a dry mouth and a twitching sphincter right now. They're going to throw you under the bus. They always have and they always will. Nurses, when they're caught out they go and stand in all four corners and point at each other doctors stand together because it's the old boys club that's what they do they cover up for each other and they're all a lot of them are freemasons and i've taken enough interviews testimonies of doctors who are terrified and also i've been told by somebody who worked at the top of nhs england and i'm just going to tell you what he told me that they practice black magic at the top i wouldn't be surprised and what do we know about black magic or about anything that happens in this in the evil realms of this world, who are the purest, the children, the babies, the youngest among us are what are used in sacrifice in all black magic stuff. Somebody told me who worked hard up the practice black magic. I'm just saying what he told me. I've not seen it. I'm just telling you. So he told me the uh, same thing when I talked with him. Yes. So we know. There you go. Yep. And I have no reason to disbelieve that man because Everything that he helped me with, I came out of that unscathed when I followed his instructions. Yeah. And you know, Kate, one of the things that this goes back to Ephesians 6, where it talks about us putting on the full armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I mean, we're not ignorant of his devices or that's we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices and what he uses against us. But we're to stand. We're not to be those who run, but we're to be those who stand and stand fast uh, in the Lord, uh, in the armor that he's given us. Absolutely. So now let's look at that hospital. Staffing inadequate at the Chester Baby Death Hospital. And in 2017, it found, in 2017, which is when she said she did it, significant gaps in medical and nursing rotors. That means they didn't have the right amount of care. 
poor decision making. Is that because there wasn't a senior member there or was that because they had poor staffing numbers? Insufficient senior cover. Yes, they've stated it. Poor decision making by doctors, a lack of staff, not a nurse who is dutifully turning up to work every day like Lucy Letby. She's turned up for work every day, but they've actually said significant gaps in nursing rotors. So she's diligent and she loves a job, which she stated she did. She's gone to work every day. Uh, staffing inadequate at Chester Baby Death Hospital. So hold external reviews of all 13 deaths, improve staffing levels, strength and arrangements for investigating deaths, improve leadership, appoint two additional consultants. That's what they've said, but they've not actually admitted about the plumbing failure yet or even looked into it. And what was interesting was the baby deaths. This is this is the baby deaths. Staffing inadequate. And, and as I understand it, they didn't find once the hospital said that while no single cause had been found to explain the increase in neonatal deaths on the unit. Hang on a minute. They've just convicted a woman and said that she's the single cause. Do you see? Yep. They're um, asking in the chat. They've just set her up for a patsy, haven't they? Yeah. The hospital said that while no single cause had been found to expl explain the increase in neonatal deaths on the unit, the change to admissions would remain in place until we are certain we have acted on all the recommendations in the review of what's that. So their recommendations hold external reviews of all 13 deaths. Well, hang on a minute. Seven deaths. Well, what are they talking about? She's been convicted of seven. It, and it was only a third of the deaths that they were investigating her for. What about the other two thirds? Improved staffing levels, strength and arrangements for investigating deaths, improved leadership. Well, they've just investigated a death of they not the deaths. But what they did was they just made a Mickey Mouse children's chart up, only putting the nurses on it, not everybody else. And they didn't look at all the rest of the deaths. Well, let me let me ask you let me ask you something because both you and I know our friend Scott Shera, and it makes you start to wonder if you didn't hear the show and he probably told you at Red Pill, but he was talking about when the judge ruled that they were going to have their case start in November. He said the nurses in the on the Zoom link said we're all in jeopardy now. We did a show on that just last week with it. And oh yeah, this is the, and that looks like the very same thing. They're setting these nurses up. Oh. Uh, listen, let me just tell you, 2009, three deaths, 10, one death, 11, three deaths, 12, three deaths, 13, two deaths, 14, three deaths, 15, eight deaths, 16, five deaths. What about after that? The deaths went up after Lucy had gone. For every single nurse out there, that they were calling for me to be imprisoned because I said in Trafalgar Square in 2001, Go to every vaccine center, get the nurse's name because they're not getting true informed consent. This is for a case. I never said do harm to them. And I said, nurses, do not do the government's dirty work. There was a time in history when the doctors and nurses hung. I should have said were hanged. That's correct grammar. But I said were hung. And I said, now is the time to get off that bus, the vaccine bus, where they're yep, all going. I remember it. In fact, we've got it recorded. Stand with us, the people. 
Do not do the government's dirty work. Now they've got the baying mob in the press demanding capital punishment. They wanted a hung, drawn quarter right there. They were asking for it to be hanged. You've got that bloated Piers Morgan, Piers Morgan who slaughtered me in the press saying, drag her into the court. She needs to face what she's done. Really? Has there never been miscarriages justice? Just this year, there was a guy released from prison after 17 years for rape that he didn't do. That was Manchester police as well. This is Manchester police. So hang on a minute. I posted today on my Twitter feed about how many, how many metropolitan police officers are being, uh, let me see if I can find it and I'll get it for you. Metropolitan police officers uh, that have been, the number of police, police recorded rape offences in England and Wales from 2003 to 2023 and uh let me let me let me forward you the whole post on telegram tim you can put this in the chat these are the people that are judging you just so you know anyway so i've sent it on telegram you look at that chart the amount of cops that are raping women in one police uh, in the police absolutely shocking you got it there yeah i got it here anyway. i'm gonna put it up on the screen and my apologies that you were Dr. Brian Artis for several minutes. That's my fault. I hit the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so look at that. Looks to me like the selection process is working really well. Yep. They're employing people with the mindset of loving authority and power because yep. that's what men do when they rape. Oh, anyway, I continue. I digress. So you've got the baying mob, the people. I mean, every time I hear people now, I correct them. I will not leave this alone. Um, so for everybody out there that says Kate Shimroni hates the nurses, would I be trying to get this out? That this nurse has, even Robin Tilbrook, everybody, lots of, lots of legal people are saying, um, you know, this looks like there's, there's, everything's not been brought into court. And you've got other legal scholars saying there's a miscarriage of justice here. She's not had a fair trial. Um, some some other lawyer said it looks like they had the guilty verdict and they needed to just put things up there that would stick they haven't even had the plumber in now the public bring back hanging bring back their death penalty this is what they're all saying in the press all the time well you nurses better be absolutely quaking in your boots because if they do you've all signed you gave massive amounts of metazolam with morphine and let me tell you, that baying mob also include all the relatives of all those that were murdered during COVID. They're going to let somebody take the rap because this is really now times of revelation. The mask is off on every single thing. It's Absolutely. Everywhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> they're coming for you. You were warned, but you did it, didn't you, for your 30 pieces of silver. You went against God's law, which is what the laws of the land depend on you went against those and now you will take the rap and that is the way it is now this young woman guinness innocent until proven guilty beyond all reasonable doubt but the judge that sat over this case also sat over another case involving three young asian men who wanted to crash a car and then claim on the insurance but in doing so one of them was killed he presided over that case. And instead of a majority, sorry, instead of a unanimous jury decision, which as I understand that you're meant to have, or it's a hung jury and you have to go for a retrial, he said he would accept a majority vote. 
Well, what's the majority vote? Let's say you've got 20 on your jury. I don't know how many are on a jury, but let's say you get 20. Let's say you get 11. That means nine don't agree with it, but that's a majority. You know, when you start talking about majority, that's very dangerous because if you've got 10, six is a majority. That's 60%, but that means 40% don't agree. That's a huge figure. So he resided over this case and he said, I will accept a majority vote. And one of the jurors stepped down. Why were they ill? Did something happen? What happened? Now, as soon as I went on Twitter and said, I don't agree with this, I think there's been a miscarriage of justice. I said, I believe that, um, you know, possibly was somebody convicted who was 100% innocent. I got death threats. I got attacked. I even got a week behind a detective contact me and start name calling, calling me names and saying, and then when he talked about Medazalam, he said, my wife's friend is a nurse. I thought, what kind of detective is he? If his best evidence he could come up with is my wife's friend. My wife's friend said this, and my wife told me, great evidence, great evidence. If that's the caliber of detective, <laughs> what help have everyone else got? So I personally believe that this woman has had a grave miscarriage of justice, as have the parents. If this is true and this has happened, justice must be done and justice must, to be, must be seen to be done. Because if the real cause of this um, act and these deaths uh, hasn't been addressed, it will happen again. And it has happened again because more babies have died since she left. And if there was somebody that deliberately did it, they are still at large to offend again. Yeah, it's incredible how that happens. The numbers keep going up, but they're not probably touting that in the news. So they must have targeted this lady specifically for something uh, because they didn't get a group of them. They just got her. And yet if these deaths yeah. continue to go up, why is nobody investigating that? Exactly. And the other thing is, you know, now they've, they've got all these things in place. They've suddenly got these things in place. Why? Now they had an inquiry in Gosport where I think it was over 400 elderly were killed. That inquiry was now, it's happening now, but it happened 35 years ago, just like the COVID inquiry is expected to take up to a decade. Also, what they've done in the press as well, they've now started, there was another, another uh, nurse that was supposed to have killed, which well, probably did, I haven't looked into that case, so I'm not going to comment on it, but she was found guilty of murdering babies, Beverly Allett, a long time ago. Um, when I was a much younger woman. And they're now saying the similarities between Beverly Allett and Lucy Letby. And they've said they were both single. Both of them said that they, they could never hope to be married or have children. Now, Lucy had next to her bed a book about being unwell after miscarriage. I'm just going to say this. This is my opinion now based on what I'm reading. And actually, I've had... I've asked several men and women this, but particularly women. She didn't want to say who her boyfriend was. It's not unusual for young girls to date, younger women to date older men, particularly in their workplaces. It's not unusual for doctors to have illicit affairs with those working uh, in the, the same place. I tell you this from lots of years of experience. I have seen it. I have witnessed it. I personally haven't had an affair with a married man that I was working with, no. But I do know of nurses and I do know of friends who have. 
I know that for a fact to be true. I also know of nurses who've had illicit affairs with police officers that come to the department. I know of nurses, doctors, paramedics and police officers that have all had illicit affairs together and fire crew because they're all working and they all socialise together. Yes, it happens and it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And, and nurses out there, if you're saying that's not true, you're lying because you know it happens. I don't know what was going on in Lucy Letby's life, but she had her own home. She was hardworking. She must have worked full time to get the mortgage, the, the, the value of the property, unless someone gave her money. She had her own car. She kept a nice home. She was clearly diligent and there was nothing else against her record. They've not come up with anything else that she stood before the board of nursing or anything squeaky clean. She's got a book next to her bed about being ill against miscarriage. I would surmise from that, that this is a woman who somewhere has been having some kind of uh, relationship and may have had a miscarriage, or she may have felt that she was in an illicit relationship and that that person was never going to leave for her. And this is why she was writing all what she'd written in those books. Though that journal looked to me like a woman who was bereft because she was saying, how could you do this to me? I love you. She was saying these things, or I loved you. This was a woman who was heartbroken. And they've twisted that another way around. Who was, and they've now said that they are protecting the person. The person that she was having the affair with has been allowed anonymity. The person that she was in a relationship with has been allowed anonymity. Why? Why? Now, maybe she didn't want to name them, but the police obviously know who it is and they're not naming them. They've given them anonymity. Why? This to me looks absolutely like a patsy. You're, you're right. Either those deaths occurred because those babies died of toxicity, of medical error, of medical negligence, or all of those things together. That's exactly what it looks like because all of those yeah. things... Kate, those babies died off could be attributed to many things. Yeah, we, we've got a question here, and I, I think it's a good question. Uh, LifeSite News is supposed to be "quote unquote" pro-life, uh, but they're they're run by the Catholic, the Roman Catholics. Okay, and one of the questions in here uh, about, uh, or at least from um, uh, uh, one of the, one of our our listeners is, why would they do it? Why would they do that to her? Now we got about thirty seconds, so if you want to start and just carry over your thought, we'll end the show. But why would why would they do it to her? What what was going on that they're trying to protect? I think you're trying to you're trying to say either there's probably somebody. Yeah, either there's been medical neg negligence that the trust would be accountable for, and then you've got a massive case where they look into everything, and then you've got you've got pe massive payouts, medical neg negligence. Or it's the trust negligence, it's because it's dirty or whatever, all of those things. And they needed someone to cover for it. And she was a soft, easy target. Yeah, and that, they used the same format. They've used the same format yep. as what they used before. All right. Bradley, be with you at three. We're going to hold Kate over just a few minutes. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Lord willing, we'll see you 6 a.m. on Monday morning. Adios. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from the radio. And no, I, I think that's that's where my mind was going. There were other things that were going on, and then they were just going to dump it on this this uh, Lucy Ledby, and they're going they're going to dump it on her and make like like it's all her fault. But yet, all the stuff not only continues, it increases after she's gone. So let's just cover a couple of what other people are saying. 
And everyone calls them conspiracy theories. So I've tried to just stick to the facts here, the hard, cold facts of what the legal guy uh that that video i sent you which you it's a fantastic it's only short tim but you should listen to it it kind of everything that i've picked should we play it here for the audience i mean i can bring it up it's it's absolutely brilliant but the the conspiracy side are also saying look at her lucy let be and she's 33 and she's a christian how do i stay healthy while hold on all my they're giving me an ad i'm trying to make them I, i hate when they do all these kinds of things i was just setting that up go ahead and i'm i'm gonna let them get through this yeah so i'll let you play it and i'll leave you be but i think you should play it for your audience and what i will leave this with to people is you know we are all one and we are told to turn it around by christ and we for the sake of uh, the families and the children and any families and i would just like to add because you have brought up someone from a news and that's pro-life um isn't it sad when a girl is held accountable for something that she might not have done, but babies, regardless of who did it or why it happened, babies have died. And yet in the same hospital, they would have been slaughtering babies every single day, ripping them to pieces in terminations. And that's okay. Wow. How messed up is this world that we live in under the devil's reign? Hmm. Yeah. All right. Final word of exhortation to the audience, because, okay, does this, does this lady have an appeal that she's going to make? One lawyer who is uh, very good, he said that he can see that this looks like an absolute miscarriage of justice, but he says it, her appeal will, will be unlikely approved because don't forget a judge has got to approve an appeal because the old boys club protect one another. Sure. Well, I guess I maybe, pray. I, I guess everyone, maybe. we should all collectively pray mm. that an appeal does take place and that the right, I hope somewhere someone starts a fund page, you know, her team so that she can have a fair retrial. And I certainly would get behind it all because it needs to be, all of the evidence needs to be heard. And, you know, these things can take years. She's it. Th- I mean, what must this woman be feeling if she, in her heart, is indeed innocent? And they've already started putting pictures in the paper of other people that are in the prison with her who are in there for murder with massive, massive machete knives and how she's in with the most dangerous of criminals. Um, what does that mean, that she's going to be found dead in her cell or su- suicided or attacked by others because they're painting her for all to know she's a baby killer. Isn't this just the worst? Oh, it really is. It really is. Well, um, leave us with a final exhortation here. And then this, this video is like 40 minutes. So I will play it uh, as soon And Kate's got to get on her day. So uh, leave us with a final word of exhortation, Kate. Remember that every single day that you awaken, the Lord has given you that day. Rejoice in what you have. Be grateful and thankful for everything that you have in that day. And know that no matter how abysmal the world appears today, you are right where you need to be at that given time. And the Lord loves you more than you can ever love yourself. And everything is always working out for your higher and greater good. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kate, so much. I'll let you get on to your thing. I'm going to play this video. This is a Norman Norman Fenton. He's interviewing Dr. Scott McLaughlin. 
Can you help me? McClacken, I think. McClacken. Ah, I got to get the clack. That's why I got tongue tied. I thought I thought you were going to do a tap dance when you. Uh, you, you I'm going to talk to you later because I'm going out with my life waves on. Incidentally, I'm loving that life waves. Oh I'm yeah, my my mom. Just a just a quick update. My mom uh, started the glutathione yesterday, and she was she on Wednesday when I called her. She was going to just. She said, "Oh, I just don't." Or no, Thursday. She said, "It's making me feel bad, and my nose is running, and all this." And I said, "Mom, you're detoxing." I said, you're detoxing. I said, if the if the white lab doctor that gives you all this medication, if, if he told you to wear those things and you felt bad, would you continue to wear them? I said, I can tell you to do it because when he gave you the Parkinson's medicine, it made her feel bad. But she kept taking it until I guess she built up a tolerance to it. I said, you got to do this. You got to. I said, just try it. I said, it's not putting anything in your body. It's not messing with any of the other stuff. And uh, so she promised me she was going to do that. But I've got mine on as well. And um, I, I'm looking just forward to, say, to the results. I watched a Parkinson's uh, a cannabis oil video. The guy had so many, uh, he was shaking and he put the cannabis oil into his mouth. And then within about uh, 10 minutes or so, he had nothing. He was just sitting calm. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, but but there's, there's lots of things God has given us that, that are natural, that, that may work as fast or not as fast. Tobacco. Yeah. And you got all kinds of things that, that God has put in the creation. That's that's the wonderful thing about it. Anyway, Kate, we'll, what we'll do is we'll play this I'll speak video. To you later. All right, take care. All right, there goes Kate. Okay. There goes Kate. And um, so here's the here's the video. If you want to hang on for it, it's about forty minutes. But this is the interview with uh, Scott McLaughlin. 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 And when she was saying it, I thought I was thinking tap dancing, clack clack clack. That's what I was thinking. Anyway, here it is. Check it out. Maybe. <laughs> She's got me playing something with no sound. Oh, wait a minute. That's my fault. Sorry about that. I muted it because I was trying to get past a uh, commercial. So let's try it this time. There we go. Yeah, good afternoon. I'm uh, Norman Fenson and I'm here with Dr. Scott McLachlan. We're going to be talking about the Lucy Letby case. Now, Lucy Letby, for those who don't know, is a nurse who's just recently been found guilty of seven counts of murder and seven counts of attempted murder of babies at the Countess of Chester Hospital during 2015, 2016. And although the mainstream media is portraying her as Britain's most evil baby murderer, there are a few legal and other researchers who've seriously questioned the quality of evidence in the case and have suggested that there may have been systemic causes of the baby deaths at the hospital, which were nothing to do with Lucy Letby. Now, Dr. Scott McLachlan is one such researcher. He completed his PhD on the topic of learning health systems under my supervision in 2019 at Queen Mary, University of London. And he's been following this case for a while now and is especially well qualified to comment on it. That's because in addition to his PhD, He's not only originally qualified as a nurse, but also has several legal degrees and is currently a lecturer in digital technologies for health in the Division of Applied Technologies for Clinical Care with the Faculty of Nursing at King's College. So welcome, Scott. Now, before I ask the first question, I should say that what piqued my interest in the case recently was the chart that the prosecution used to show that Lucy was on shift at all the 17 baby collapses that the court examined 
while the other nurses were only present at a few. And I put out a tweet saying that Scott had pointed out in his substack that there were baby deaths when Lucy Letby wasn't present. And I said, you can create exactly such a table for every specific nurse by restricting deaths to babies who die when that specific nurse is on duty. So Scott, can you tell us what you know about other similar baby deaths that happened in that Countess of Chester hospital during the time that Lucy was working there? And also whether there were any similar deaths shortly before and after she was there? Right. So what we, what we know historically for the hospital is, you know, on average, they had two or three um, neonates die in the unit each year. So there was a constant background noise. There, were, there, there was the, a, regular, um, a regular pattern. And uh, so what was noticed in 2015 um, and 2016 was an abnormal increase in that pattern. Now, um, what we see uh, through an, a freedom of information request that was uh, sent to the hospital uh, during last year, what we can see is the hospital acknowledge that um, there were around 30 or 31 neonatal deaths on the unit during the during the two-year period that was investigated in the court case however lucy only um and that's the, that's deaths that's not collapses there were much more collapses than that but there were around 30 or 31 deaths um, however lucy was only ever considered for eight of those deaths um, and as uh, many people will know right at the very start of the court case when the judge was reviewing the evidence that was being uh, that was going to be put before the jury, um, the judge actually ordered that one of those cases be uh, removed from the docket. And so the prosecution dropped one of the one of those eight babies. Now, so what we know looking is that there were these 30 or 31 deaths that happened in that two-year period. We know that um, some of those babies, you always expect there to be a, a small background. These are, these are babies, neonates, who are often, they're, they're very poorly when they're born. Um, they are often um, premature, so many of these babies are anything from. I, I think the the uh, there were one or two that were almost term, but the average sort of um, prematurity on the unit was something like seven weeks, and it went as high as ten or twelve. Um, based on the prematurity of the baby and the weight of the baby, the unit were normally required to uh, refer the worst, the, 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 the babies who were the most premature, or the babies who were under 800 grams, they were required to refer those babies out to a more specialist unit. And then during that period, um, the Countess of Chester upgraded their unit so that they could keep some of the, the more severe, the more sickly babies. So you had a situation where you had a unit with a lot of babies um, and they were very busy you had staff who were supposed to be looking after those babies in a one-to-one -one relationship of, of staff to neonate and unfortunately for most of that period what we see is actually that uh, many of the staff were looking after two or sometimes three instead of one so you have a, a, a situation where the staff are working outside the guidelines and we therefore know that um, there were a much larger number of babies who died. And so that chart that you posted, which is a chart that um, the police presented a very, very similar looking chart during the court case, and they showed it to the jury on at least three occasions that, that I saw. Um, the mainstream media have produced various versions of that chart. Really, all that's, all that's happened is their method of investigation to arrive at that chart. 
has been to go and look at all of the babies who died and then filter that list down to the point where you've got a list where it's 100%, you've got 100% Lucy in a column. And so as you say, quite rightly, we could go and do that for any of the other 36 or so nurses who were on the unit. And bear in mind that chart did not include the doctors, right? So imagine doing that for the doctors and you, you could probably get the doctors to a range of 12 or 15 or even 18 of the 30 babies that um, expired on the unit. If you did that for anyone else, and you presented it, you could go, okay, well, look, you know, this person's correlated. And in fact, in one of my sub stacks, I point to the fact that um, one of the nurses that worked with Lucy Lippy was correlated with at least three of the four babies, first four babies that I analyzed. You know, so why wasn't she in the frame for it? Why was it just that, oh, we've made a chart with Lucy? I'm wondering whether what they did was started with all 30 babies and kept taking a, a baby out, a baby out, a baby out until they found the nurse that had the most correlations and went okay that's the nurse we're investigating and what about the numbers after lucy let be well that's that's another interesting yeah. thing because when you when you look at it, it depends on who you source for the numbers so if you if you source the freedom of information that came from the, the hospital themselves um there was a lull of about seven or so months between when lucy was taken off the unit and when the next baby expired um, but then when you look at some of the other, you look at the Embrace report or you look at the ONS report for, for Chester, um, you see that from about May the following year, which is supposedly when the police investigation started, so May 2017, you start to see the number of deaths actually go up again. And they peak. Uh, when you look at the ONS data, they peak um, in 2018-2019. Uh, at a rate that is actually slightly higher than when Lucy worked there. Well, okay. Um, so can you tell me anything about the consultant, Dr. Gibbs, who I understand was in charge of the unit and what happened after he left? Well, there's, there's sort of some interesting uh, information that uh, I got when going through all of the sort of transcripts of evidence that were, the, this is the evidence that was presented in court by various different doctors and nurses. One of the things that struck me as I started to review um, even the first sort of four or five babies, babies A through D and, a, and more recently baby E, when you, when you look at um, situations with the doctors, there's often talk of the doctors going and ringing. And these are junior doctors. So whilst by the time they got to court, we were called in the court, they were calling them consultants. These were doctors who most of them were either trainee or they're in their first or second year out of, out of um, getting their degree. Um, there's often talk of them go, having to go and call Dr. Gibbs, right, as in call him on the phone. Mm. And so, you know, we find a situation with one of the babies where the mother actually kept insisting that, you know, my baby's not right, my baby's not right. Um, one of the doctors in the theatre had said the baby looked like it, had a, a infection and they actually gave the baby a, a bolus of antibiotics at the point where it was born in the theater um, and yet it took four to six hours for that child to be moved onto the neonatal ward and one of the interesting things was that the junior doctor who eventually moved the baby to the neonatal ward actually did say in his testimony that he had to go and phone dr gibbs now Dr. Gibbs ended up retiring um, not long after, in, in the sort of 18-month period after 
uh, Lucy Letby was removed from working at the hospital. Um, and it does seem like he was almost, you'd say, sort of one foot out the door for most of the period. And it does, it does feel from the evidence like the four junior doctors, and there was a trainee doctor as well who was working there at the time, it does feel like they almost had the run of the place. And you feel they weren't sufficiently well qualified then? It is, it is pretty obvious from the evidence that we see that these doctors, instead of being, the, the usual process would be, for example, you know, I, I, as you know, while I was doing my PhD with you, I had some eye surgery, I had two eye operations. And the usual process would be that, you know, yes, you meet one of the junior doctors initially to have, you know, they, they do various tests and things on you. You then meet with the consultant surgeon who's going to do the work. Um, the surgeon does the work and demonstrates to, you know, one or two of his or her registrars um, during the process of doing the surgery. And then often what will happen is one of the registrars will see you after the surgery. And then a few weeks later, you'll see the consultant who will follow up and make sure that what they did was correct. What we see in this particular situation is we see, for example, in one case, a trainee doctor who attempted to insert an umbilical venous catheter, which is, whilst it's not the easiest procedure, it's not the most difficult, um, and, but the protocol says that you shouldn't do it more than three to five times before you go and get an actual consultant to come and do the job. Mm -hmm. um, and usually if you're a trainee, you'd often be supervised a couple of times by a more senior doctor first. Yet we see instances where trainee doctors and doctors who were in their first year out of medical school were performing five, six, seven, sometimes eight attempts before calling a more senior doctor to come and perform the insertion. Now, one of the things that we do know is that when you're inserting these types of catheters and you're doing it multiple times, and it's exactly why the protocol says don't do it too many times, you run the risk of introducing potential pathogens that are in the in the unit, you run the risk of harming the baby, um, you're basically inserting something into a line that goes directly from the umbilical to the baby's heart. So um, that's a pattern we see across the evidence for a lot of these infants is that there was multiple insertions done by junior doctors at the time. Um, and, you know, then these babies go on to have all of these other issues. But instead of focusing on, okay, could the, you know, is it possible that something during all of these repeat over and over and over procedures mm -hmm. that did it? No, let's focus on the nurse who happened to be there at yeah. the end. You also had, I know, some serious concerns about the quality of the evidence presented by the expert witnesses in the case. That's another interesting area because um, it came out in, it came out in uh, cross-examination. Now, the, the, the police did quite well, the prosecution did quite well to present Dr. Evans as being a neonatal pediatric expert. Yet it came out in cross-examination that um, whilst he'd maybe done a short stint in a neonatal unit back in his very, very early days as a paediatrician, he not only was 15 years out of working, he'd been retired for quite an extended period. Um, he'd only done the very barest minimum of neonatal work, which therefore meant that he wasn't, you know, perhaps as uh, knowledgeable and competent in the neonatal area as he was perhaps in some of the other areas that he did work. Um, but also there was this issue that um, since retiring, um, Dr. Evans had set himself up and he set up a private company that specifically was him being a professional expert witness. 
he wasn't approached by the police, you know, will you come and have a look at this evidence? He admitted he actually drove from Wales all the way to Cheshire Police, presented himself to Cheshire Police and basically touted for business. You know, I'm here, I, I, I'm an expert in this, I can help you to find out the guilty party. So, um, you know, he turned up on the door, offered himself. Um, it looks it looks as though from the, the, the um, tax returns to HMRC that he's made considerable income from being involved in the investigation and being involved in the in the trial. You know, we can't uh, can't say for certain that the invoices that he declares are invoices that relate to this trial, but it does look as though he's made an income from this. And yet uh, his evidence in legal terms, what we'd probably class it as is something called Ipsy Dixit, which is it, it's opinion evidence because he's giving evidence about something. He's giving expert evidence for something that he's not actually an expert in. Scott, can you explain why you feel the defense in this case was somewhat inadequate? Right. So um, Lucy's uh, defense attorney at the time has been a, a King's Council barrister called Ben Myers. Um, now, Ben has done, I think, uh, an admirable job in what I potentially believe are very difficult circumstances. I think something has happened along the way that has tied Ben's hands behind his back, that has limited either what he's allowed to investigate or limited the types of questions or the types of evidence he's allowed to challenge or present. Um, and I think that's evident in the fact that, well, like we discussed at the start, there were a whole group, there was two-thirds more babies uh, so that the died on the unit in the period than Lucy was charged with. Normally, what I would expect to see is that you would go and look at all of the babies and see, did any of those babies, and, and you'd want to do this both as a police investigating it and as the defence attorney trying to work out what the defence for your client is. Um, I would have expected that there would be some discussion about, okay, there's these other babies. Um, some of the other babies, um, we, we, we can already tell, died in similar circumstances with some similar conditions they were ref referred out some of the babies were referred out to Arrow Park and Alderhay so there are records all over the place for them there are nurses in and midwives in both places who have interacted with these other babies so I would have expected to have seen something during the trial if not from the prosecution then definitely from the defense going well look there were a lot more babies that died why are we only focusing on these ones that can be pinned on Lucy and yet that never happened um, and then when you have a look towards the end, there was a, a spreadsheet that came out of the court that listed um, the witnesses that each party had declared. So it's, it's normal at the start of a trial like this that each party will declare to the court, these are the witnesses we intend to bring. And often you'll also present some sort of a will say statement for this is why we're bringing this person. Now, when you look at the, the list that was released um, back towards sort of October November last year, um, the list for Lucy's defence mainly consisted of Lucy and her parents and people like that, and you know, with the plumber tacked on at the end. Now, in the end, the only witness that was presented on Lucy's behalf was the plumber, and so you know, we we didn't end up we we heard from Lucy, but we didn't end up hearing from her parents. We didn't end up hearing from any of the other nursing staff who apparently still support her. Um, she still has 
many of the, the, the nurses she trained with and even some of the nurses that she worked with who are still supporting her. And, you know, we saw, we saw one on television over the weekend who, and, and was reported in the newspaper that she said, I'll never believe that, that this is true, that, that Lucy did this. So why didn't we hear from any of these people? Just picking up on that point about the plumber, because I, that was kind of like an interesting thing. Can you tell us a bit more about why the plumbing evidence was considered by the defence to be important? That's what I'm wondering, because it, does, it didn't feel to me like, um, like Ben invest, like really uh, developed that particular witness. Now, the reason I say that is because what we do know from what the plumber said, and we know now there's, there's been some FOIs uh, to the hospital with regards to um, the records of the unit with regards to the maintenance and the plumbing. Mm. Um, what we know is that uh, there were regular instances, in fact, the plumbers were, were being called out, the maintenance people were being called out to the unit on about a weekly basis. Now, this is a, this is a, a two-storey unit so you've got where the neonatal ward was which was in one corner of the hospital on the ground floor you've then got another unit which i believe was called ward 35 that sat on top now it was apparently quite common for the pipes that were in the ceiling space the the, the um, above the false ceiling in the neonatal unit for those pipes to have problems with uh, either being blocked or with um, micro fractures or bursts now why that's important is because these are wastewater pipes. These cast iron pipes are carrying um, fecal matter. They're carrying, um, you know, if somebody bleeds in the operating theatre and, and parts of the operating theatre get cleaned up, then that's going down a drain in the mm. floor and that drain's passing across. And we know from the evidence um, from the plumber that uh, originally the drain from that unit upstairs ran across the middle of the this floating ceiling above the neonatal room one so at the point where that was having little micro leaks and where it um, had a, a more major significant leak and it was getting blocked um, you're talking about a pipe that is directly above the cots that these neonates were sleeping in now you might not think that that's important except that what we know from other hospitals who've experienced issues with hospital wastewater is that hospital wastewater um, carries and breeds a number of pathogens. Some of them are bacterial and some of them are viral. So we're talking about things like Acinetobacter. Uh, we're talking about uh, endotoxins and endoviruses. And these things, so these are the things that um, in some cases you will see normally, you or I would have some of these things inside us. But while ever they're in the parts of our body where they're supposed to be, where they're normal, um, such as in our intestines, they don't cause us any problem. It's when they end up somewhere else. And in this particular instance, what we know is that if you've got these hospital pathogens that are getting out into the environment, they can not only survive and create a film across surfaces. So for example, if you pull down those, those floating ceiling tiles, you might very well have seen a thin film of these pathogens growing on the inner surface. Um, but we also know, for example, that even in and one of the examples I give on my Substack is that even in a brand new unit that was built. So um, the example I give is a hospital that was built. They built a brand new neonatal unit, had everything brand new, new plumbing, new surfaces, new tiling, new floors, the whole lot. From the time that the builders got sign off on that they'd done everything that they needed to do to the time when the ward staff came in and started setting up the ward was 30 days. 
In that 30 days, in that brand new unit, one of these pathogens had taken hold inside the plumbing, the cold water, the fresh water plumbing coming into a sink. That pathogen then resulted in the deaths of a number of babies, oh. right, in that brand new hospital unit, simply because once that pathogen had gotten into that, um, that particular set of piping, it grew and grew and grew. And of course, you know, as more water's coming through, that water's washing it out. It's being washed onto the nurse's hands when they're washing their hands. They're using the water from, the, the, from mm. this source to do things like mix the, the feeds that are given to the babies. And so it led to a number of deaths. Now, an interesting story behind that was that when they initially started looking at those deaths, they did the same thing that happened in Chester. They looked at what nurses mm. can, we, can we link? Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't until they started testing. They they bought in a, um, a, um, a epidemiologist and his team, who's an academic team, who came through and they started testing all the surfaces, all the taps, etc. And that was when they found it that it was actually in this freshwater tap. So presumably, in the in the Lucy Letby case, there wasn't there was no such sort of forensic investigation of the surfaces. There is no evidence from the court case, and there's yeah. no evidence from the hospital records that they ever they, they didn't investigate tested that, to so see whether, despite the fact that there were these known problems of the sewage. Well, this, despite the fact they'd yeah. they'd not only had sewage leaking in that yeah. that space above, but they'd also, by the plumber's own admission and by Lucy's evidence, which led to the plumber mm. being there, they'd also had. Um, hospital wastewater from the toilets, etc., mixing with the wastewater from the showers, and it came up through the floor mm. such that at one point they were walking through it. And and if I understand it correctly, the, the plumber said he was they were more or less being called in on a weekly basis, and the, yes. and the prosecution tried to um, dismiss this as, well, that happens in any hospital. Would that be... The, do you think that would be the case? The way that the, the, way that the prosecution sought to actually... Um, I suppose, sort of deflect from it, was the prosecution at one point um, on, on redirect, which is what you do after the, the person's been cross-examined, mm. the prosecution sought to, um, oh, well, you know, it happened in the room next door, so, it, you know, that won't have affected this room. Right, know? okay. Um, so one, another of the examples that I give on my substack is the fact that um, on more than one occasion we've seen situations where patients have been found to... Um, become infected with these nosocomial pathogens, even when the pathogen is found on the opposite side of the hospital and it's taken an investigation, again, an epidemiological investigation to find what is the route that the pathogen took through the hospital to eventually end up at the patient who's over here. Okay, so this sort of leads into my next, que next question because basically the jury, of course, found, were convinced that, that Lucy Letby was guilty. So if she wasn't guilty what other possible explanations might there be for the deaths of these babies is it the case that are you proposing that these these p potential pathogens were was one such explanation and are there any others as well well there's potentially i've i've focused my research at the moment specifically on a group of very common bacterial pathogens and i know that there's another researcher at the moment who's looking at a pair of very very common viral the the, the intervirus type um because at the um within the sort of a year or two either side of these deaths um there was antivirus found in two other hospitals in the uk to to, to have become an infestation mm. so 
Um, the reason that I focused my own study on the bacterial pathogens is that the various symptoms that we're looking at for these children. So we're, we're talking about the fact that Lucy's been accused of injecting them with air um, on the basis that, not because anyone saw her, because nobody saw her inject a baby with air. She's been accused of injecting them with air on the basis that air was found either in their abdomen or in the space outside their abdomen, or in one case, in the space um, that is sort of right towards the back, um, which is near the spine. Okay, so she's been accused of injecting air and that somehow the air has traveled to wherever it was mm. supposedly found later. The interesting thing is that several of the bacterial pathogens that I started to investigate that I've written about on my substack have um, as symptoms that have been recorded in other neonates caused air to be either um, collecting in the duodenum and the uh, small intestine, or they've caused air to get into the blood vessels and travel outside of the the actual you know intestine itself. So into the into the bloodstream, into um, what we call the portal veins, the veins that then take the blood from from the intestines and run it through the liver, um, or they've been seen in 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 even even more severe cases to have caused air to got to get into the bloodstream and travel to the heart or to travel to the lungs. So these are, these are things that are documented. They're in the academic literature. Um, and so there are examples out there if anyone wanted to look for them. Similarly, um, at least two of the three bacterial pathogens that I looked at um, are known to cause this what we call purpura, the, the little purple spots that they keep talking about. Mm. So when they start talking about, oh, there was these little purple spots that came up either on the abdomen or on the, on the extremities, so on the hands and feet, well, two of the pathogens I looked at actually do have a known history for causing these purpura to, to come up on the skin. And they also disappear. And or self-resolve, as we say, um, within sort of anything from one to four hours, or you know, maybe maybe by the end of a shift, a nurse will go back and go, oh, the spots have disappeared. So many of the symptoms that are discussed for each of the babies, you can actually go back and look at these bacterial pathogens, mm. and find that these bacterial pathogens, especially when they they get to the point of causing a condition called NEC, which is um, necrotizing mm. um, enterocolitis, when they get to that point, which is the deadly point that, that mirrors almost some of these, um, uh, you, you heard during the trial that, oh, these babies, they, they crashed and it was an unexpected crash. Well, NEC is known for resulting in these right. unexpected crashes. That's why we call it a crash. You know, things stop yeah. working. So um, again, these bacterial pathogens cause NEC or can cause NEC, mm. which then can cause these unexpected crashes with all of these other symptoms that okay. were discussed. So, and of course, none of that um, type of no, no hypothesis like that was presented to the uh, jury. Thus, thus far through the transcripts that I've read, and yeah, I'm, okay. a, I'm, a, I'm a between a half and two thirds of the way through critically okay. examining the transcripts. It's never been mentioned. Okay, so, but of course the jury um, did find her guilty of seven murders and seven or six, depending on which newspapers you read, uh, mm. attempted murders. What do you think was the most convincing piece of evidence against, against her presented in the case? 
I mean, it, there was this. Yeah. There was some if we talk were, of this, some sort of written confession or something like that. Can you say something about that? Yeah. So there's 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 a there's a couple of things. You know, we've got that table that we discussed before. Mm. Then we've got um, we've got an interesting thing, which is that they the the police talked about the fact that when they went to Lucy's home, they found that she had about a hundred days worth of handover sheets. Now, that's really 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 common. You know, I, I want people to understand out there that it is actually quite common for nurses to have a handover sheet. You know, so you go, you go in, you start your shift, the first 20 minutes, half an hour, you do handover. So the nurse who's been looking after the patients that you're going to be taking for the day will tell you, you know, these are all of the things that we've done with these patients. These are the medications. This is when things are due. The doctor's going to mm -hmm. visit at 10 o'clock. So you write it all down on a sheet. Now, some nurses will have a, pre, a, a, a very well set out predefined template that they use. Other nurses will literally just get a piece of paper from the photocopy and write on the back of it. Now, it is very, very common for a lot of nurses to have that sheet folded up in their pocket. Some nurses might give it to the next person they hand over to, but it's very common for nurses to take those sheets home. Now, one of the reasons that um, we quite often recommend that they take it home goes back to cases like the Lucia de Burke case because one of the things that came out that helped to demonstrate that there were problems with the patients that she was looking after and that it therefore wasn't murder and why she was acquitted is the fact that she actually had the handover sheets to show these are all the things I was told about the patient mm -hmm. and this is what I treated the patient for right so it's quite often, and you know, when I talk to, uh, you know, I, I personally tutor um, nursing students, right? When I talk to them, I tell them, have a handover sheet, have it organised, so that you've always got the same information about your patients in the same place every day. Fold that thing up, take it home, and keep it. It is also common that, for example, if you've got a patient who's got critical care needs, it is not uncommon for you to get a phone call the next day halfway through the next shift so you've been there all night somebody mm. rings you up at 10 or 11 o'clock and says look you know this this patient has had this problem and this problem and this problem um do you recall whether or not the doctor saw them last night no. or do you recall whether they were given this medicine mm. the only way you're going to remember that properly is to be able to pull your sheet yeah. out and go yes actually i ticked that off on the box yeah so why was it the fact why was the fact that she had all of these sheets at home considered by the police to be a case for the prosecution well they thought they thought that she, what she was doing what, what they allege was that what she was doing was keeping them sort of almost as trophies ah okay. right okay. so they were alleging she was keeping that as trophies right. okay. and what i'm saying is well yeah. no actually yeah. okay. I, I, I can guarantee you that um yeah. you know I, I know lots of nurses i know lots yeah. of midwives many of the okay. nurses they're standard practice okay then what about this written note that was used against her okay so another another thing that the nurses and midwives are required to do during their training is to keep what are called a reflective journal okay so when they go out on practice and it's one of the things that in the last two or three weeks actually i've had to read some of the reflective journals for the students that i supervise they go out on their placement they spend so many weeks on a ward 
Each day as they do a procedure or as they learn about a new medical condition, they keep a reflective diary about it. So they write down, you know, and they not only do they write down about the medical condition or the treatment that they performed, they might write down comments. They, You know, we usually encourage them to write down comments about, you know, what did you find easy on the unit? What did you find difficult? How was it working with these different types of people? You know, the doctors, the nurses, whatever. So it's it's it becomes this thing that at the end of their placement, we can look at and we can understand you know here's what happened for the student mm. now when they go out they get qualified with nmc every sort of couple of years and here it's uh, i believe it's three years in the uk um, australia and new zealand it's sometimes three years and sometimes five years depending on your qualification you are required to submit a whole heap of documentation to then get re-up your practicing certificate to, mm -hmm. you know, so you've got to show that you've done certain types of training. Um, you've got to demonstrate that you know you've done certain number of hours of, of actual work in a particular thing to keep a particular scope of practice. But one of the things you also still have to do is write reflective notes about a couple of patients mm -hmm. to be able to to be able to present and go. Here's a reflective note that describes the path of treatment and the, and the care that I provided for this patient over the course of a week when they were on my unit. Yep. Right. So writing these sort of reflective journal things does become something that nurses and midwives often do. Mm -hmm. OK, not only that, but you've got the fact that, you know, a lot of nurses and midwives obviously are girls. A lot of girls, a lot more girls than guys tend to keep a journal or a diary mm -hmm. or something like that. What we see from looking at the various screenshots of the ones that, that were shown in court is the the police have gone through and they've picked the two or three, and there's especially this one, a green one. They've picked the two or three that appear to be the most damning, and then they've focused on a couple of words, right. you know, maybe three or four or five words, where she's written something like, you know, I must be evil or I am evil. Um, I, 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 I must have killed them or I killed them. She's written words like mm -hmm. that. But when you read the whole note in context, what you see is a young girl who... Is almost beating herself up she's she's self-flagellating she's whipping herself you see a young girl who seems to think that had i have been a better nurse had i been a smarter nurse had i have had more training or had i had yeah. i been a better person i could have saved these babies and when right. you when you read the whole note and you okay. think about the psychology of what she's written that's what she's doing she's she's taking to herself taking herself to task and blaming herself mm -hmm. yeah okay so it was basically a sort of a cherry picking exercise it may have been by the police yeah for all the journals okay. i i, I but, wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind betting that the police mm -hmm. found hundreds of pages and in fact they do allude to the fact that they found considerable amount of journal material yeah but what were we shown all, all told as far as i've seen so far in the transcripts only three pages were ever shown yes it's this this case where they're they're ignoring the absence of evidence in all of the other material exactly which in itself actually is not evidence of absence but anyway that's a separate thing but okay so finally you obviously believe that there presumably are grounds for an appeal hmm. and if so what would be the next steps what happens next well i i think what's what needs to happen is somebody with uh, you know obviously a barrister and a team with appeal experience need to come in and i say that i say that quite cautiously um i i think there's one of the potential arguments 
on appeal could very well end up being unless unless we can show why it seems Ben Meyer's hands were tied behind his back. Why why you know, whether she tied his hands behind his back, whether the judge in Wadir tied his hands behind his back, or whether um, as we've since seen there were a couple of NHS lawyers in the court most of the time, whether they've tied his hands behind his back. I don't know what that what that backstory is, because all of that that sort of Wadir stuff happens behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it possibly could end up being that one of the appeal grounds could be trial counsel competence that's not to say ben was incompetent but that's to say that that's a way in to get an appeal is to say well look you know it's clear that her defense was wanting there was something wanting about this defense there's a whole lot of stuff there's questions that weren't answered now it so it needs counsel who are experienced on appeals because appeals on their own are a very tricky and very specific area of um, jurisprudence in the same way that you wouldn't let a podiatrist operate on your eye you know you wouldn't necessarily go and pick yep. the average solicitor to do your appeal now obviously as well i think there's probably no money and i think that's going to be a limiting factor because yep. often with appeals it's the person who's got the money to bring the appeal because in on in an appeal situation whilst you might only have a defendant often only has some people say 30%, some people say 10% chance of winning in the lower court. When you get to the appeal court, um, that starts to get bigger. It might be 30%, it might go all the way up to about 60% chance for the defendant. But you've got to have the money, you've got to have the situation where you can make the arguments that are required. So we need the right people. We need obviously to be able to either either those people are going to have to donate their time or we're going to have to find a way to fund them, and then the these various issues that are, the holes that are starting to come up in the case are going to be the things like there's going to have to be um, if if the evidence of the other babies that died that Lucy wasn't blamed for if the evidence regarding those babies wasn't handed over during discovery then that's a discovery issue. And so whoever does her appeal is going to have to go back and go, right, if these babies weren't disclosed during discovery to Ben Myers, then that's grounds for appeal in and of itself. And those records are going to have to be gotten and then suitably qualified people are going to have to be brought in to look through those records and go, right, if you've got the seven babies that Lucy's now found guilty of murdering and you've then got another seven babies out of that 30 who died in similar circumstances but lucy was never anywhere near them you've then got a situation where how can you continue to hold lucy guilty for the seven babies on such circumstantial evidence if we find yeah. that some of the other babies died the same way yeah okay well thanks very much let's hope that justice is seen to be done at the end of the day yeah. and thanks for the conversation thank you the Bible says the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Proverbs eighteen seventeen. Have a great weekend. Bradley, be with you at three. Meet with the people of God. Be hospitable. Spur one another on to love and good works. Lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord willing, we're going to talk to you Monday morning, bright and early, 6 a.m. Adios.